Hallelujah. I feel good. Amen. I don't know about y'all. I feel good. Um, as Brother Janelle was talking, amen, and he made that comment that you got to start somewhere. I said, okay, Lord, I see you. He was, he was about to get into my sermon a little bit. I said, okay, I see you. Amen. That's confirmation. Amen. So as I go into the word on today, we, uh, for those, I don't think we have any visitors in the house, but we've been doing this, this series on vision, amen, and, um, you know, it has been blessing me, I hope it has been blessing you, and one of the things that I realize is that, you know, the book of Zechariah is difficult to preach, that's my opinion, I don't know, when y'all preach it, y'all tell me, <laughs> but right now, <laughs> the book of Zechariah is difficult to preach because it's almost like you preaching about dreams, right? And we know that sometimes dreams are hard to interpret. They're hard to figure out what God is trying to say. But I thank God that as I continue to read over and over and over again these books in preparation for each sermon, God keeps showing me what the book is about. And so we have been going through eight visions that God gave Zechariah. And this book is designed to show us God's plan for his people. Right. So first off, the Bible is the story of a people. Right. And throughout this this book, the hero, which is God, is continually rescuing his people and saving them every time they fall into trouble. Right. He they mess up. He save them. They mess up. He save them. They mess up. He save them. And, and throughout this story, sometimes it gets better. Sometimes it gets worse. But the thing that's consistent is God is always the hero. He always comes in. He always comes in and tries to save them. And as we read each one of these books, these books just tell the same story of God being the hero through the eyes of different people. So whether it's Moses or Joshua or Zechariah or Peter or Paul or whoever it is, God is just continuing to tell this story about how he's the hero of the story. And that's something that all of us can apply to ourselves, whether we in a good spot or a bad spot, whether we getting it right or whether we messing it up. The thing that's going to be consistent in your life is that God is always ready to be the hero. He's always ready to save you. He consistently shows himself worthy each and every time. And so as I'm preaching this book of Zechariah, the thing that God is using to tell this particular story is visions. And he's using these visions to show God's plan on how he wants to save his people after all that they have been through. So Zechariah, just like us, like we are born in certain times and in certain seasons for a reason, for a time such as this, right? There's no coincidence you were born in the year that you were born to the parents that you were born to. I, it makes me think back to the sermon that minister preached when she was talking about, was 1991? 1990, right? She was talking about, there's no coincidence that she was born at that time to those parents for those purposes. We even touched on that in Bible study. We asked the question like, do you know the purpose of your children? Why God gave you those kids, right? We are born for a, a, a time and a purpose. So with Zechariah, he was born to a time when God was trying to restore his people. They had gone through 70 years of 
exile and they were coming back to, to rebuild the temple. And if you read the Bible, other books like Nehemiah and Haggai, they talk about rebuilding the temple. And that's the thing, right? We can all be in the same spot at the same time and have a different vantage point of what God is actually doing. So to me, it looks one way. To her, it looks another way. To minister, it looks another way. But once again, the thing that's consistent is God is always the hero. He's always the hero. So Zechariah was born and he was called to minister to people during a time of restoration. He was called to encourage these exiles to rebuild a temple, to fix it, to, to finish the work that had been started by Ezra and these other people. And he was called to encourage them because they kept running into difficulties, right? There was a lack of faithfulness. That was one person's problem or, or, or one problem. Right. There was oppositions from the neighboring people. Right. There was a lack of resources. And so why I'm telling you that is we can all be in these same situations. And for one person, they're struggling with their faithfulness. They're struggling with their consistency. For another person, they're struggling with a lack of resources. For another person, they're getting attacked on their job. Right. But the goal is the same thing. Rebuild the temple. Rebuild the temple. God is trying to restore you. So I'm preaching this series on vision, right? Because number one, I want you to, I, I, I wanted to expose you to Zechariah and I want to show you that sometimes in the process of God doing what he's trying to do in your life, he uses different things to do it. So for one person, he might use dreams. For another person, he might use visions. For another person, it might be just be reading your word. For another person, it might be he sends somebody into your life to minister to you. But he has these ways of writing your story. He has these ways of helping you get to where he wants you to go. So number one, I wanted to expose you to Zechariah. And then number two, I wanted you to know that God uses different methods to get his point across. But at the end of the day, he's the hero. And he's trying to get you to build a temple. He's trying to turn you into a place of worship. He's trying to turn you into a place of worship. So in each one of these visions, God is like he's adding to Zechariah's story. Right? This is the way he's talking to Zechariah. He says, Zechariah, I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going I'm to talk to you through visions, and I'm going to use you to share these visions to my people, because some people are going to need to hear it this way. But at the end of the day, the goal is rebuild the temple. So in the first, in the first vision, right, it was the vision of the horses. So through that vision, God wanted his people to know that I see you and I care about you. Even though you've been going through, even though you've been going through it for the last 70 years, even though you've been going through it for the last 30 years, 35 years, 40 years, I see you and I care about you. In vision two, it was the vision of the horns and the conferences. And that was the sermon on how God revealed. So he said, I see you, I care about you, but I need you to know how you got in this place in the first place. That was the horns, right? These horns. So God wants you to know that. He said, I know what broke you. I know what scattered you. I know what tore you down. I know what you're struggling with. But then the carpenters came in. He said, I know what broke you. So if he knows what broke you, that means he knows how to fix you. 
Because he knows where you weak at. He knows what, what, what ain't all the way screwed in. Right. He knows what needs to be nailed down. He knows what's rotted and needs to be replaced. And that's what vision does. It reveals what's wrong. And then God comes in and says, okay, all of that's wrong. So this is how I'm going to fix it. That was the second vision. Right? And so then he says, now that I know what's wrong and I know how to fix you, I'm going to call, I need you to participate in what I'm building. I need you to participate in your restoration. He took him to the third vision. That was the man with the measuring tape. And he was measuring Jerusalem. And that was just sermon on how God is calling us to something bigger. And, it, and what he's calling us to is something bigger than we can even imagine. And then the fourth phrase, the fourth vision was, the fourth message was, God invites us into his presence. So once you begin to participate, right? So once you begin to, to participate in his rebuilding, in his restoration, like you in the, like you working in the temple, now you in the house, you in the area, how can you not get blessed and you on the job site with Jesus? Y'all understand what I'm saying? So he calls you and say, come on now. I see you. I care about you. I know what broke you. I know how to fix you. Participate in what I'm trying to build. And then once you start walking in faith, once you start walking in faith, how can you not be blessed? And that was the vision of the high priest Joshua. Right? And in that vision, God told us how he snatches us out of the fire and sin and shame. And he cleans us up and gives us a new hat and a new robe. And he begins to use us as long as we are walking in the statutes and the laws of God. He invites us into his presence. And the reason that God invites us into the presence, into his presence, amen, because today's message is he's trying to make a temple out of you. First, he calls you, right? He calls you. Then he chooses you, right? And then he makes you into this temple, right? He sends you out. You become like a city on a hill. You become this shiny thing. Right, you become this city of refuge. And I'm using all these other terms from all of these different books because I want you to know that through our scripture, the message is the same. God is trying to use you. He's trying to make you into a temple. He's trying to get you to uh to, to lift him up so that all men can be drawn unto him. No matter what book you're reading, God was designed to be given glory, and you were you were made. You were God designed us to give glory. You were made for that purpose. So today's message is he desires to make a temple out of you. In the fifth vision, God shows Zechariah a lampstand between two olive trees that constantly provide the lamp with oil. And this lamp, in turn, constantly provided light. The word says in Zechariah 4, verses 1 through 5, it says, the angel who had been speaking with me came again and roused me as if I had been sleeping. What do you see? He asked. A lampstand made of gold, I answered. At the top is a bowl for the oil. On the lampstand are seven lamps, each one with places for seven wicks. There are two olive trees beside the lampstand, one on each side of it. Then, and my paper got cut off before I got this open. Then, I asked, read it for me, um, Pastor T. Then I asked the angel, what do these things stand for? 
Right? Don't you know? She asked me. No, I don't, sir. I replied. And so, it's God asked Zechariah, or, or the angel shows Zechariah this vision. He began to ask, what are these things? The angel says, don't you know? He says, no, I don't. And then God, just like he does in the other vision, he begins to explain. And y'all, I had to read this about 12 times. Because depending on what version you read in, some versions switch the verses around to make it easier to understand. Even in my studying, I read like five different other people, and all of them said something different. Right? And the reason for that is, and that's why I started out, sometimes this is a hard book to preach because you're trying to preach a dream. And you don't always get, you might get bits and pieces of what it means, but you don't always get the full thing until sometimes later on. Anyway, the, the one thing I walked away with, and that's why I read that, that, that Psalms to you, Psalms 119 is, the lampstand is the Lord. The lampstand with those seven weeks is the Lord. And then the two anointed ones in my study, and some, some scholars said it was one lampstand was the Old Testament, the other lampstand was the New Testament, feeding like testifying of the Lord in the middle. Then somebody else said it was one was Enoch and one was Elijah. Then somebody else said one was Zerubbabel and the other one was Joshua, the high priest. I said, okay, God, you're going to have to tell me what this means to me. And what I saw was I saw the Trinity. I saw the Trinity. I see the Father, one of those olive trees, I see the Father anointing the Son, and then I see the Holy Spirit equipping him for the task ahead. And so here's my question to you in this vision, right? God is trying to, God is trying to make a, a, a temple out of you. And so, so here's my question for y'all. Number the first question is, what mission has the Father given you? What is he what has he given for you to do? And then the second question is. Is the Holy Spirit fueling your mission? My God, my God. It's the Holy Spirit, right? So this lamp is in the middle, and he's basically this lamp is plugged in the two two olive trees, and from these olive trees, this oil just keep flowing. This oil just keep filling up this lamp, and this lamp never stops shining. And this lamp is in the middle of the temple, and I saw the Trinity, and I said, God, I want that, I want that lamp stand dwelling in me. I want Jesus, right? Like the words, I want him dwelling in me. Because if that lampstand is in me, the light is never going to stop shining. Because Jesus is going to, number one, he's going to accomplish everything he has already accomplished, and he's going to work it. And he's gonna, that's going to work out in my life. Whatever God has purpose for me, what Jesus did on the cross is going to make it possible. And then when I get weak, that other olive tree, the Holy Spirit, is going to give me the power to live it out. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I want to be plugged in. Yeah. Right? Basically, Jesus is the plug. Yeah. Jesus, like, when you plug Jesus into your life, yeah. when you plug the, the lamp of Jesus into your life, the light is never going to stop shining. Glory, glory. But I got to tell y'all, you got to understand, like, the lamp was not outside of the temple. The lamp was inside of the temple. You can't be looking at Jesus from afar and expect the light to shine in your house. The scriptures say, who take a lamp and stick it up under something else? Right? You, 
you can't look at him from afar and think that that light is going to be sufficient to light up the stuff in your life. You got to let the light, right? But, but the point of this is, at this time, the temple was in ruins. So it looked like, why would I take this fancy lamp and stick it in this broke down temple? Right? Why would I take this fancy lamp and stick it in this, in this broke temple? I got bigger problems. I got people like Nehemiah. I got people trying to stop my work, right? I don't have the resource. I can't afford this right now. I got to, I got to pay these other bills. I can't afford this fancy lamp. But the point is, you need that lamp to accomplish, to accomplish the task, to finish the work. Without the light, you can't see what you're doing. Amen. And so this is the part. I'm almost, I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. I got maybe 10 more minutes. Um, almost 10 more minutes. And this is the part that made me think about Brother Janelle. Amen. This is Zechariah 4 and 6. So after the angel finished explaining these things to Zechariah, the sixth verse says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, said the Lord of hosts. And this is what the lamp reveals. When, when we plug into Jesus, this is what it reveals. You can't do nothing by yourself. This task of rebuilding the temple, you can't do this by yourself. You can't do this in your own strength. You can't do this in your own power. You got to do this by my spirit. Right? Then it says, in the seventh verse, it says, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, that thou shalt become a plain? If you read that in another version, it basically says, like, who are you? And I think that's what's on the screen. It's like this mountain, those mountains that are before you. And what God is explaining is, yes, I know this task of building this temple looks like a mountain before you. Like, how are we going to get this done? And God is saying, just plug in the lamp, man. Just plug in the lamp. Just pluck in the light. Just pluck in the light. And this mountain will become a plain before you. When you put that final piece on, when you put that final, the, the King James Version calls it a headstone. When you put the final piece, like when you drop that final puzzle piece into it, then the word says you're going to be shouting and crying for joy. Right? He says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hand shall also finish it. I love that. I love when you read it in Philippians, it says, whatever good work God has started in you, basically he is faithful to finish it. That's what I love about God. When God starts to build something, right? How many of y'all had a contract or somebody work on something in your house and they do it all the way right? Like, you just, man, you just fixed it. Why am I car tearing up again? Right? You ain't put that on there right. But when Jesus is building something in your life, he's faithful to finish it. God is saying, I know the task may look like, man, how are we going to do this? It may look like a mountain. But when, he, when God dropped that final piece on it. And I don't have this in my notes, but I'm going to read it out of here. This is really the part that made me think about Brother Janelle. Is that 10th verse in the 4th chapter. It says, For who have despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice 
and shall see the plumbing in the hand of Zerubbabel. With those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro from the whole earth. Who shall despise the day of small beginnings? God, well, that was encouragement when, when Brother Janelle said, you got to start somewhere. To other people, it made me look like, why would you go from here to here? Why would you go from there to there? Right? That's how God operates. Because he want to get the glory. He want to get the glory. He want everybody else to be thinking you, you crazy. When really they crazy. Right? When you plug into Jesus, stuff don't make sense. And that's why I ask, is the Holy Spirit... Is the Holy Spirit fueling your mission? Yeah, y'all out here grinding and y'all out here working and y'all out here building. But what is what 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 is what you're building? What is he built on? What type of foundation is that built on? Because with everything, anything that's not built on Christ, it's gonna fall. You just gotta be faithful to do what he calls you to do. Things of real vision are only built by the grace of God. All success is not godly success. Amen. Amen. All success is not godly success. God made me think about the Tower of Babel. They tried to build that thing to the heaven. All God had to say, y'all see them folk down there? They couldn't up. And what he did, he scattered them. Just like that. He said they getting too big for their bridges. And then he scattered them just like that. They thought they were doing something. They were trying to build. It says they were building it to the heaven. They were trying to, to, to be God. They were going to build this great city, this great empire. And all he had to do was speak to it. And it scattered. Whatever you're trying to build, you need to make sure that God is connected to it. The lamp that Zechariah is describing, it has to be in your temple. Because that lamp will never run out of oil. You may get tired, but Jesus does. You may get weary, but Jesus don't. He won't let you fall. Go ahead, sing it. He won't let you fall. You can lean on him. So I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to be done. This is Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. And I try not, I know I'll be stopping on the verses and explaining them. I'm going to try not to do that. I think this is self-explanatory. Verse 1, it says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. This is Jesus talking. Once there were 10 young women who took their oil lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and the other five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any extra oil with them. While the wise ones took containers Full of oil for their lamps. And I just thought about a whole bunch of Christians who ain't plugged in. They, right, they, they walk around saying, I got the lamp. No, baby, your lamp's not real. That's not real, Jesus. It's not plugged in because real Jesus don't run out of oil. Real Jesus not wishy-washy. Real Jesus don't switch up on you. Real Jesus, like real Jesus don't stop working. Five foolish ones took their lamp but did not take extra oil. The wise ones took containers full of oil for their lamp. The bridegroom was late in coming, so they began to nod and fall asleep. 
And that's how we do sometimes, y'all. Right? And that's why I prayed that prayer. I know somebody here saying, well, when my time going to come? Just don't fall asleep. Amen. Don't give up on God because he won't give up on you. Amen. You better make sure that you, regardless of what it looked like, you better make sure that the lamp is still plugged in, yes. that the light is still on. Yes. It was already midnight when the cry rang out. Here is the bridegroom. Come and meet him. The ten young women woke up and trimmed their lamps. Then the foolish one said to the wild ones, let us have some of your oil because our lamps are going out. You're not going to be able to turn to your friends when Jesus come back and say, girl, take me with you. Girl, give me some of your Jesus. Give me no, not like, no, I've been inviting you to church. I've been ministering to you. I've been telling you to get your life together. We've been crying. We've been doing all this stuff for the last 20 years. Now Jesus come back and you want not, it don't work like that. The Bible said two going to be walking together. One going to be taken. That's why the division is right down five and five. And they went in two separate camps. It went like all the, all, the, all the foolish people over here and all the wild over here. All ten of them was mixed up together. But five of them was real and five of them were fake. They say it was midnight. He ain't going to come back when you want him to come back. He going to come back when it's time for him to come back. He said, give us some of your, let us have some of your oil because our lamps are going now. No, indeed, the wise ones. They have to make me think about that commercial. No, my brother. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You got to get your, y'all don't know that. Y'all might not be all enough now. Get it. <laughs> no, indeed. The wise ones answered. This is not enough for you and for us. Pastor may seem strong, right? But the little bit that I give when I'm praying and when I'm preaching, that's all I got to spare. I ain't, I don't have enough to get you in. You got to get your own, right? I got enough to just help you maintain, right? I can't empty my gas tank and fill up your car. I, but if you, I can take a little bit out and say, here, get, go to the gas station, right? Uh, here go a little chain, call you an Uber, but I can't take you the whole way. It's not enough for you and for us. They said right here, go to the store and buy some for yourself. I ain't making it. Go to the store and buy some for yourselves. So the foolish ones went off to buy some oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom arrived. The five who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was closed. Hallelujah. They were late. <laughs> Jesus. Late as the others arrived. Sir, sir, let us in, they cried out. Certainly not. I don't know you. The bridegroom answered. And Jesus concluded, Watch out. Watch out then, because you do not know the day or the hour. Just like I said last Sunday, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm done. Just like I said last Sunday, all of these messages that I have been preaching 
are just a way to get you to see that the Bible is saying the same thing. Every story is saying the same thing. You need Jesus. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. God is trying to turn you into a temple. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. Right? But you can't accomplish that without Jesus. You can't accomplish that without the Lamb. You can't accomplish that without being plugged in. You can't accomplish that without him supplying you with the power that you need. I don't care which book you read it in, whether you read it in Genesis or whether you read it in Revelation, Jesus is always going to be the answer. No matter how big the task looks, no matter how big the mountain looks, no matter how bad the destruction is, whether you're in the book of Judges, whether you've got a messed up background like Ruth, whether you've been traumatized like Bathsheba, whether you a murderer like Moses, whether you blind like Saul, you're a persecutor like Saul, like he got a story for each and every one. That's why I say the Bible is a story of God's people and how God steps in and becomes the hero. So don't, you can't sit out there and tell me that God don't understand your story. You can't tell me that he don't understand your trauma. You can't tell me that he don't understand what you've been through. He got an answer for all of that. And he's telling you the only way that I can rebuild you if you let this light shine in your life. The only way I can fix you is if you let this light shine in your life. And the thing about Jesus is when he starts working on you, he's he not a bootleg carpenter. He say, if I'm going to fix this thing, I'm going to fix it all the way, right? I'm not going I'm not going to cut corners on your restoration. So don't 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 invite him in and say, "God, I want you to remodel my kitchen, but leave my bedroom alone." He said, "I'm going to fix it all." Amen. Y'all come on and give the Lord a hand.